electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. And welcome, everybody, to CNBC's continued coverage of markets in turmoil and fast money. I am Brian Sullivan. Thank you very much for joining us on what was an eventful. It was a big Wednesday. The market's continuing to move higher. There's a lot of reasons why, and we're going to get into those in just a few minutes as well. Of course, we've got the CEO of TGI Fridays. What is one of America's leading restaurant chains doing about the current situation, their employees? Should they get more federal help. There's a lot more to cover. Welcome, everybody. Thank you very much for spending a little time with us here on this Wednesday and a great trader panel for you again tonight. We have got Guy Adami. We have got Tim Seymour. We have got Steve Grasso. And we've got Bryn Martrust, Jeff Mills. Hi, everybody. And thank you very much for joining us, Guy. Let's jump right in here because I think this is pretty interesting. We're up 770 points on the Dow today. We had oil spiking as well. Banks participated. A lot of different sectors participated in this mini run or mini rally, whatever you want to call it. Is it because of Fed help? Is it because some of these coronavirus numbers came down, giving us a little reason uh, for optimism? Or was it something else? Yeah, you know, typically it's all the above. And I'm going to have to reposition my camera in a second. So I apologize if the shot is lousy. But you know, I think you bring up good points. Listen, yesterday made sense to me in the way, it tur- the, way the market traded up and failed at the levels that we've talked about. Today didn't make sense to me. But to your point, I think the Howard Marks article helped. I think the fact that maybe Bernie Sanders dropped out helped. I think Dr. Fauci comments helped. So it's an amalgamation of a lot of things that are positive. And you know what? I understand that the reasons for optimism. My concern is, you know, even with the market currently where we are, you know, at all times high in the S&P 3393, assuming $160 worth of S&P 500 earnings, you were trading a little north of 21 times. You know, there's no way we're coming in at 160. You take 20% off of that, and here we are trading at 21 times. So in my book, all the market's really done is recalibrate, and I think we're sort of at the upper end of a spectrum that we should sell off from. Yeah, and for our viewers that are not familiar with what the Howard Marks comment that guy's mentioning, Howard Marks of Oak Tree, billionaire investor, coming out with a note effectively saying he's an optimist, He's buying in the market because we're all dealing, Tim Seymour. We all know the past. None of us know the future. But Marx remains optimistic, perhaps that giving a boost to the markets today as well, to Guy's point. Well, and Marx, who was very cautious, uh, you know, just a couple months ago. So uh, Howard Marx is certainly a, a, a market participant, but a, a thought leader that we should listen to. But it, it's not alone that. I mean, everything we're saying, the pain trade remains higher. Um, and I know, you know everyone says bear markets don't end like this. Um, and I'm not saying that this is the end of a bear market. Uh, I'll also just say that people think that, you know, December 2018, I mean, that was a bear market. We had plenty of strategists come on our show and said we had a bear market. Um, so, uh, you know, there's an enormous uh, Fed and, and 
fiscal response. We know that. Um, we, we know that there's two phases of analysis here. Uh, one of them is, is this horrible virus and the global destruction and the health crisis. Uh, and as you said, and as we say almost every day, because we have to recap this, this is part of the story. Then it's about looking to the other side. Uh, when you look at a day like today, when banks, which are now almost 30 percent off the lows, if you measure it by the XLF, some banks significantly more, um, or if you look at small cap stocks, or if you look at even transports uh, that led the market and really have led the market over the last few days, um, that's a sense the market is telling you that economic sensitivity is not as significant as people had told you it was going to be. But we still don't have any real data. Uh, every economist worth their salt is pointing to anywhere from 10 to 20 percent uh, 2Q uh, GDP contraction. We're going to have a terrible jobless claims number tomorrow. And yet the market pers perseveres higher because I think equity allocations mm. are still underweight here. Here's the here's my negative spin, because I, I tend to be somewhat constructive here. Um, I don't think equities get away from you here. I, I don't think you have to chase anything here. Um, I do think that valuations are, are, are tough. Guy talks about this all the time. If you look at the S&P yeah. earnings, um, what's expensive, what's cheap, especially when rates are at zero. You know, Steve Grasso, Tim makes a lot of good points, you know, but we, we look at data points like tomorrow morning's jobless number. Listen, let's be honest. It's going to be terrible. I mean, whatever the number is, it's going to be too many. We know that. But what we also know is that some of the macro data that we really care about, the number of beds needed, the number of likely people that pass away from this, those numbers have come down considerably, considerably over just the last 48 hours. Is that what's been powering the market? Yeah, so, so Brian, I would say the way you open up the show, I would say 100% of this or very close to 100% of it is going to be dictated by corona numbers. There'll be a time and a place to look at fundamentals and economics. That time is probably two months away. So if you look at the way things are now, there's a basket of companies that will be around in three years. There's a basket of companies that are gonna need a lot of aid. This is unprecedented check writing by the government. Nothing is gonna fail. They've made it abundantly clear that no company, no person, is going to fail. So in my mind, we need to weather through approximately 30 days. And when you start to think about retesting the lows, yeah. which is where I thought we were going to be last week, that time right now is sort of uh, mitigated because beds, everything that you just named, when you heard Cuomo talking about cresting and topping out, that's a huge event. So we were all prepared for the very worst. And I don't think we're, we're going to get the very worst, and that's why the market's rallying. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, some of the IHME estimates, actually, which is out of University of Washington, are now lower than the flu rate of 2018. There's been some positive data. Uh, Jeff Mills, I want to throw this out there. This is pretty interesting. I think March 11th will go down when this whole thing is written as the day that everything just stopped. That's the day they stopped an NBA game. That's the day kind of everything and everybody realized how serious this was. Here's a year-to-date chart of the S&P 500. We are back to pre-March 11th levels. The entire last month of insane volatility has now been reversed. Does that mean anything, or is it just an interesting stat? 
I think it's just an interesting stat, and I, I think it means that we were probably really oversold, that rubber band got really stretched, and now we're snapping back on some of that optimism that Steve is talking about. But I think we have to be careful with connecting some of the optimism around the health crisis with directly when and how the economy is going to open back up, because I think ultimately that's going to be really important. And I want to go back to something that Guy said related to where the market is trading. You know, credit spreads, they recovered a little bit. But they have not endorsed the equity rally to the extent that I would like them to. I talked about the correlation between credit spreads and equity market valuations the last time I was on the show. Where credit spreads are today, that would be more consistent with about a 14 times forward P on the S&P 500. So to use Guy's number of 160, which, again, is probably pretty optimistic, that would leave us closer to the lows than to where we are today. So I think there's still a little room to move around. And let's not forget, two days ago, we were up 3.5%, and we ended the day down. Since 1980, that's only happened three times. All three of those times were in October of 2008. I'm not trying to make a direct connection between now and 2008, but I do think it underscores the fact that the market is still on unstable footing, and I think volatility to the downside is probably still more likely than an unabated path higher. Okay, yeah, but but to, to follow up very quickly before bringing our guest, Jeff, I will say this. We showed the HYG we are seeing the bond market come back. There's been bond issuances, even Hess Oil selling bonds last week. I have heard from many people that the credit markets are doing okay. And I guess that's if you put maybe to Guy's point, $10 trillion at a problem, you hope to have a positive outcome. All right, let's bring in another voice on this conversation now and bring in Margaret Reed of Union Bank, who is out in San Francisco. Margaret, it's a pleasure to have you back on Fast Money. Let's talk about this. Your clients, I would imagine... Their mood today is different than it was a week or two ago, or they still have that sort of heightened level of nervousness. Hi, Brian, and thank you for having me today and uh, being on the panel as well. I would say at this juncture, you know, we have clients who continue to have a lot of concerns out here in California, you know, with the shelter in place, uh, particularly those clients of ours that are real estate oriented investors. Uh, but also on the equity market side, too, because we are living and breathing uh, this stay-at-home recession and seeing what's happening to the consumer base, seeing what's happening to our business base. Uh, so I'd say there is certainly a tremendous amount of caution, but a little bit hopefulness, you know, out of the data points uh, out of the last few, few weeks coming out of the crisis yeah. on the crisis front. Especially where, where, where you guys are out west, you've had some maybe glimmers of hope for us here on the East Coast because you had it sort of worse first, but it's come down. Are your clients pressuring you to sell? Are you recommending that we sell? Do we think that we have made maybe a, a medium or short-term market bottom, or could there be more pain to come, Margaret? Well, Brian, at this juncture, you know, we're urging clients to kind of recognize these various phases that we'll have in the market and the economy in this unprecedented health crisis and recession at hand here. Uh, you know, we had the first phase, February to early March. That was the fastest pricing in of any crisis or recession layered on by the oil price shock. Phase two, call it, was the absorption of the historic monetary fiscal policies uh, in response to the liquidity constraints. Uh, and to carry the economy to the extent it can be carried during this crisis and recession. Uh, but let's call this third phase that yeah, we're in right now is that, that. Uh, take take Bad a breath phase. 
where we can, um, you know, we're seeing advancements in the therapy vaccine testing front. Uh, we're seeing, you know, growth rates in cases in some hot spots across some of the country, not all the country, but we would caution that, you know, yeah. we're in front of still a rolling breakout. We haven't seen sizable breakouts in the middle America here on the COVID-19 uh, virus. And we're in, in front of the onslaught of considerable negative economic headlines. I agree. The claims number tomorrow is going to be very difficult and challenging to see as a headline. We're going to continue to get companies that pull guidance. Uh, so I would say on on the balance of where the markets stand today, we would be a yeah. little more cautionary uh, just because we don't view this as kind of the end, uh, the end of the market correction here. Yeah, I think I think it was Moderna today said the human trials on a potential candidate for vaccine is going to begin in mid-May. I mean, the speed at which the private sector is working is truly remarkable. It's great to see. Uh, let me wrap it up, though. With this market, if if corporate earnings, we know, first off, they're rearview mirror and they're going to be, you know, all over the map. Guidance will matter to a point. The economic data is going to be all over the map. I'm not saying we throw it away, but take it with a grain of salt. So let me ask you directly. What is the one or two most important data points that you and your team at Union Bank are going to be watching for over the next couple of days and weeks as it pertains to the equity and bond markets? Well, first, I'd say, you know, watching the consumer, uh, watching uh, how they continue to respond to this crisis and how the government is responding uh, and providing the necessary bridge. Uh, also, watching the credit markets. It's just very important that the credit markets continue to uh, recover from this last month uh, to ensure that there is a consistency in the operation of the capital markets at large. Uh, but it is very much um, an ever and day by day, day, you know, the daily po- the data points coming in, and just very critical to you know emphasize you know managing risk and managing uh, diversified portfolios at this juncture. Margaret Reed of Union Bank at West. Best to you, your family, your team, everybody out there. Margaret, we look forward to seeing you back on CNBC in person on the East Coast sooner than later. Margaret, thank you very much. You know, you know, Tim, we, we talk about those signposts. What about the transports? The transports, which are supposed to be a leading indicator, they're not looking too bad lately. Well, they're they're major leading indicator, especially going into a recession. And you can argue that the transports, boy, um, you could have played the market perfectly uh, by you know getting short transports nine to twelve months. Uh, in advance of, of this pullback. In fact, it was death owning FedEx, a stock I, I'm actually long. Um, but a bunch of the shippers, if you look at C.H. Uh, Robinson, that, that to me is a stock that's rallying uh, essentially nine months uh, ahead of the economic recovery. So um, I think these are places where actually uh, market, uh, you know, tactical uh, forces tell you you can actually be buying them if you have some sense on the depth of the recession. I, I do think that's important. Other signposts have to at least be on some level measuring uh, economies around the world that have gotten through this. An economy like Taiwan, who saw export numbers that were almost flat for March, uh, and their economy uh, wasn't as shut down as others. These aren't things to, to necessarily impute totally on the U.S. economy, but, but it is some sense of what happens when you get back to normal, yeah. even though normal is not what normal may be in six months. Yeah, who, who knows what normal means nowadays? Well, point, well said, Tim Seymour. We've got breaking news right now on the virus outbreak. Let's get that with Rahel Solomon. Rahel. 
Hi, Brian. Yeah, so it looks like there could be more snaps for the government's new PPP program. So this is according to uh, CNBC's Hugh Sun, saying that according to people familiar with the matter, that the country's two largest banks, J.P. Morgan Chase and Bank of America, had a combined 625,000 requests for loans and $80 billion in loans as of Tuesday. But only a small fraction of that has been processed and paid out so far. We heard from Kate Rogers, of course, our small business reporter, who said earlier uh, that she's hearing from some of her small business sources that they're just now getting those applications processed. We also spoke with the CEO of a regional bank earlier in Power Lunch, who said just today he was able to get some money out the door but again, according to our Hugh Sun of CNBC.com, saying that the two largest banks, J.P. Morgan Chase and Bank of America, saying that uh, they've only been able to disperse uh, a small fraction of what has been uh, summed or what has been um, created to help provide relief for small businesses. So that's the update now. Uh, it's a large program. It's still very early in the process. But again, more snags for that program. We've been hearing about that all week. Brian, of course, uh, back and forth with some reporting from Kayla Tausche some reporting from Kate Rogers, but it looks like uh, more snaps for that program. I'll send it back to you. Yeah, a lot of activity and interest, certainly. And we've got, by the way, the CEO of TGI Fridays, one of America's biggest restaurant chains coming up. We'll ask him what he needs to get back on his feet, make sure his employees are taken care of. And he's upset that insurance doesn't appear. It's going to cover this as well. A lot to get to there. All right, tonight, by the way, we have got another special that you cannot afford to miss, Markets in Turmoil 7 p.m. Eastern time tonight. All right, coming up here on Fast Money, call it a tech triple play. We haven't forgotten our core mission. We're going to talk about Netflix, Apple, and Twitter. Three big calls, different ones. You've got to hear them. Plus, what industries should get government aid or the most government aid? We can't say all, but we have a survey. Steve Leisman has the answers for you on that as Fast Money returns right after this. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. All right, welcome back to CNBC and our continued coverage of the markets in turmoil. We have not forgotten the core mission here on Fast Money. Of course, so much stuff going on, but we can also have time to dive into some of the calls on the names that you care about. And we assume that you probably care about some of these big technology stocks that we've been talking about for the better part of, I don't know, about five years. All right, let's start off now with a call from Bank of America Securities on Netflix. Steve Grasso, I'm going to go with you on this. They said, here's the wording, and you forgive me for reading them flying blind. We see a clear benefit to Netflix subscribers in the first quarter. People are engaging, i.e. staying home. They call it a low price point. They like the model and they are bullish on Netflix. Your take on the B of A call. Yeah, so I, I would agree with them. I, I, I'm bullish on Netflix, too. The problem is, is that 
once we start to see the the uh, corona deaths start to level off and hopefully this thing gets better for everyone involved, all these were corona plays. So I think you'll start to see these roll off. You're going to get a chance to buy these stocks lower. And I would wait to see if it holds that 341 level, which is the 100-day moving average, before I put new money to work. But, Brian, also, they're not filming. They're not spending a lot of money now because they can't produce. So that's been the headwind for the stock. So I wonder, I haven't heard many people talk about this. We all know about the competition. What we don't know is how much money is staying inside of Netflix. It's not a spending days anymore at Netflix because they can't film. So maybe that helps. Maybe that's a tailwind. But I think ultimately, wait on this one before you put new money to work. Okay, so Grasso, Tim, appears to disagree a little bit with the Bank of America call. The question, of course, is churn. How many people are going to sign up now when we're able to sort of reemerge? Will they cancel? Does Netflix have what it takes? The, the movie mojo, if you will, to keep people around. This was a stock that people owned for defensive qualities because of the stay-at-home nature of the business, Netflix and, and chill or whatever else goes on. So, um, but to me, this is not a stock that on valuation uh, is, is really makes sense, both uh, in this environment and in the stock market, but with the competitive landscape. Again, the Piper note talked about uh, the mind share of, of teens and folks that are the most active consumers of Netflix. Um, but it, it also points out that Disney has taken market share. Uh, Disney Plus has only been out there for, you know, however, two to three months and is already at a 7% of market share. So um, I, I actually think Netflix to me is not only a stock that doesn't get away from me the upside, but I don't think they have pricing power. I think the multiple makes no sense. And I think it was artificially defensive a stock to own at the start of this crisis. And, and I would be a seller. I'm actually short the stock. Okay, short Netflix. There you go, Tim. Thank you very much. Let's move on now to call number two. And it's actually two analyst notes on the same name, and that is Apple. And Jeff Mills will go to you on this. Here's the basic headline. J.P. Morgan Chase cutting their price target on Apple from 350 to 335 Piper Sandler raising their target, but only to 300 So Piper's raise is still below where J.P. Morgan Chase was. But here's the thing. J.P. Morgan saying they're going to cut their estimates for iPhone sales by more than half, but they remain overweight on the stock. Can you square those things? Do you agree with either of these calls? Well, look, I, I think you have to differentiate what's going to happen in the short term with iPhone sales versus the company's prospects in the long term. And if you do read the Piper note, 85% uh, of the 5,200 teens that they surveyed said they owned iPhones. I mean, that's really important. This continues to be a powerful brand, uh, and I think that carries the day in terms of the long-term prospects of the stock. If you look at iPhone sales before all of this, better sales for iPhone 11 than was anticipated. And if you look at their ability to diversify into other businesses, whether it's finance with Apple Pay, healthcare, wearables, so on and so forth, I think there's room there for the company to continue to grow. They were growing revenues ex iPhones in the high teens. So I think that's really important. And look, the multiple at 19 times is still higher than typical, but certainly a lot more compelling than over 23 times, which is where we were only a couple of weeks ago. So for me, I think it's a stock you can own for the long term, even if you have some problems in the near term with sales, because you are going to see disruptions from store closures, supply chain issues, and so on and so forth. But from a longer term perspective, I think the story is still very much intact. I mean, isn't that amazing? The stats, and, and, and if you missed it, I'll, I'll reiterate it, because I think it's just tremendously in, insightful, Steve Grasso, which is 
Teen ownership of the iPhone was 85%, up from 83% in the fall of 2019. I know you got teenagers. I mean, here's the thing about Apple. When you have the iPhone, you're probably locked in for the rest of your life because you bought the apps, you bought music, you bought stuff that only is going to work there, right? I mean, this is a sticky stock in certain ways. If I ever came home with anything different for my kids, uh, I don't think they would use it as much, quite frankly. So they've been brainwashed in a positive way for Apple, so great for them. But I own the stock. I'm going to continue to own the stock. That services business is going to get them through any lapse of hardware that Jeff is talking about. But as far as retracement Mm -hmm. levels, I wouldn't put new money to work for Apple until it holds the 270 price level. That's the 50% retracement from the recent highs to the recent sell-off. So I would wait until it holds it. It's just a couple of bucks below that, so you don't have to wait a long time. All right, good. So I got to jump in on you, Steve. We got some breaking news out of Starbucks coming out with it looks like some guidance, and the guidance doesn't look so hot. Rahel Solomon, what are the Starbucks numbers that are crossing right now? Uh, Not as hot as analysts had expected, but perhaps a little bit better uh, than it could be. So Q2 EPS, according to Starbucks, looking like it could be 32 cents. Analysts were hoping more for 39 cents. But, Brian, of course, as you know, guidance is something that we're not really hearing a lot about these days in these uncertain times. So the company also providing some context, saying that during the last week of the month of March, comp store sales declined 60 to 70 percent, perhaps not surprising, considering that the company only operating about 44 percent of their stores in the midst of all of these shutdowns and stay-at-home orders. Uh, The company also saying that notwithstanding the very strong performance of the first 10 weeks of the quarter, that comp store sales were actually only down in the U.S. approximately 3% in Q2 versus the prior year. So again, uh, for that last week of March, sales were down about, comp store sales were down about 60 to 70%, but over Q2 compared to last year, they were down uh, just about 3%. Also saying that their estimates for the business disruption because of COVID-19, because of coronavirus in China, were in line with their expectations, although they came in at the low end of expectations. So, Brian, I'm going to send yeah. it back to you. The headline being EPS Outlook uh, guidance from Starbucks coming in at 32 cents. The expectation prior had been 39 cents. 17% drop there. Guy Adami, uh, let's go back to you on this. Uh, hard to read here, right? I mean, 17% doesn't look like a lot, but you got to focus on that number Rahel gave the last two weeks same store sales fell 60 plus percent. I mean, whatever happened in the first 10 weeks of the quarter is kind of irrelevant ex China, is it not? I mean, all we care about is that last two yeah. weeks because that's how that's how April's going to look if not worse. Yeah, and I think w- one of the things we've been saying pretty much across the board is a lot of these numbers you just got to sort of look at and obviously understand what type of anomaly they are and try to look past and where these businesses are going to be you know, six to nine months from now. What I would say in terms of trading the stock, I think the stock was up three bucks today. It's given half of that back. I mean, it basically went from 55 to 72 in a straight line. You know, if I'm of the belief that, you know, this 2790 level in the S&P is a short-term top, then I have to be a belief that, you know, Starbucks will probably trade a little bit lower. You have to figure out where you want to buy it. I don't think it's getting back to 55 but I do think you're going to get an opportunity to buy it probably in the mid-60s, and that's where you reestablish, in my opinion. Yeah, it's pretty much given up what it gained today. It was up 4% in the regular market. After hours, it's down 3%, so pretty much given back most of what it gained. All right, coming up after the break, we've got a lot more for you here on Fast Money and our continued coverage of markets in turmoil. The man they call the Dean of Valuation. 
NYU's Aswath Damarod. What does he see from valuations right now? Are they fair, too expensive, too cheap? We'll find out then. The CEO of one of America's biggest restaurant chains, TGI Fridays, on what they need from the government to make sure that their workers, their staff, their customers, everybody is taken care of and the restaurant survives. Stick around. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back. Let's get some of the latest numbers on the pandemic around the United States and the world. And for that, once again, we welcome in Sue Herrera. Sue. Thank you very much, Brian. Good afternoon, everyone. French President Emmanuel Macron has come to the defense of the World Health Organization after President Trump attacked the agency's response to the virus and threatened to withhold funding. A French official says Macron, quote, refuses to see the organization locked into a war between China and the U.S., the New York Times reporting a Chicago-area jail has become the largest known source for U.S. virus infections, with 353 inmates and staff all testing positive. Corrections officials at the facility say the actual number of cases is likely much higher since most of the 5,000 total inmates have not been tested yet. Philadelphia cutting back public transportation services after 76 employees tested positive for the coronavirus. Passengers will be required to wear a face covering prior to boarding. And New Jersey first responders saluting frontline medical employees today. The Newark Fire and Police Departments blared their sirens as they drove past local hospital employees who obviously are wearing that protective gear. And we thank them for their service. For more on the coronavirus coverage at CNBC, go to CNBC.com. Brian, back to you. Can we just say, Sue, you and I both grew up in Los Angeles, California, yep. but we've raised our families and been in New Jersey for a long time. New Jersey has this reputation around the country. Oh, you're from New Jersey. Can we just say New Jersey, small state, a lot of people, giant heart. Giant heart. And we've been heart. hit hard by this. That's and really, really true. Giant heart. The state's been hit very hard, and it's not over yet. But uh, some of the best people you will ever meet are in New Jersey. That's right. Jersey strong. And I love to yep. see that. You're making me. You're, I've been weepy lately, Sue Herrera. Look forward of to seeing course. you in person again soon. Haven't we all? Thank you very much. You got it, Brian. All right. Yeah, exactly. You go, New Jersey. All right. We're going to go to a break. Coming up, Oswald Damrod, and they call him the Dean of Valuation. What kind of valuation does he see in this market right now? We're going to ask him as well. Plus, oil, huge surge into the close today. We've got an OPEC plus meeting virtually tomorrow. We've got G20 with an energy focus on Friday. What can we expect there? We're going to talk to somebody who knows me. I'm kidding. Right after the break. Stick around. All right. Welcome back to CNBC with trillions of dollars in relief packages and stimulus plans out there. Everybody's going to have an opinion, no doubt, on who should get government money and who should not, at least from a corporate perspective. So what do we collectively think? Well, Steve Leisman knows because he's got his latest survey and he has some very interesting findings for us now 
on who the public believes should get some help and who should not get some help. Steve. Yeah, I, I do, Brian. I want to just give you the top line results from this survey first, though, which is that confidence really did plunge historically an unprecedented level. It is down, actually, uh, 31 points. Never seen anything like this to just 22 percent believing that the economy is good or excellent now. But a 17 point rise of those thinking the economy will improve in the next year. So that's another high record. Fifty one percent behind the pessimism. Take a look at these numbers, which I think are important. Uh, for people to know. 10% reporting they lost their job. 16% say they've had their wages or salary cut. And another 9% think that's going to happen to them sometime in the next weeks or months. Good time to invest or not? 45% said it was a good time to invest back in December. Well, just 41% now, but twenty, but just 45%, 45% saying it's a bad time to invest. That's up 20 points. Uh, and 47% think their portfolios will increase in the next year. That compares to 47%. I think they'll either decrease or stay the same. So some interesting tug of war there in the public's view of stock of stock investing. What about bailing out which industries? You can see right here, there is good support for the priority of bailing out hospitals, bailing out small businesses, bailing out local restaurants and retailers. After that, when you start getting into the big companies or the big industries, airlines, oil and gas, Boeing, we asked about specifically, that's where public support really falls off. And if you're a cruise company or a casino, well, the public doesn't support bailing you out whatsoever. I will say overall, though, Brian, we had about, what, two to one support for the $2 trillion package. But there is some disagreement about how it should be spent with airlines and oil and gas companies uh, not being favored as a priority for using that money. Brian? Do we know why? Is it because, you, you know, it's sort of an elective thing? Cruise lines, they're flagged offshore. They have their own tax laws. The airlines, they spent, famously we know now, you know, 80% of whatever their operating income on stock buybacks. Is there some kind of a trend there from a financial balance sheet perspective? Brian, Brian, how, how tall are you? Uh, now or like a month ago, because I've definitely shrunk because I've been just hunched no, over now. this computer. How, I don't know. How six, tall are you? Six something. Six four. Right. How many inches? How many inches of legroom has the airline of the airlines taken away from you in the last ten years? All of it. <laughs> right. Right. Put it so this way: You're probably you tell not me reclining. how you feel. How you, do you? How, how much do you think the American public feels? that airlines have done well by them versus, you know, right now, is it a time to do well by airlines? I don't think, you know, and then you go to the oil and gas industry. Well, I don't know about you, but you're, uh, you know, I remember pumping gas in the oil shocks of the 70s. I worked at a gas station. Um, and it, it's not clear that the gas companies have a whole lot of goodwill out there with the American public. I mean, it, it's probably more so than before, because as you know, they're a bigger chunk of sort of regional economies than they were in terms of providing uh, uh, economic activity and jobs. But I think overall, the American psyche, oil and gas companies, I think if you put oil and gas company airlines together, Brian, they're kind of like the large banks of the 2008 bailout. It, it really is true. And listen, obviously, oil and gas, Steve, you're speaking my language. Uh, the reality is that there's so much debt outstanding there. I've got to imagine that the Federal Reserve is so nervous about so much of that debt that it's almost, you know, too big in oil to fail in some cases. 
So, Brian, you've put your uh, your finger on one of the most interesting issues that will happen now at the Federal Reserve and and in the uh, uh, the bill, which is how to bail out and the the oil and gas industry. Which how much of that was going down before the coronavirus, and how much is a direct result of it? You almost certainly were going to have some kind of major industry consolidation uh, without the coronavirus. The Fed is mandated not to lose money and to provide liquidity and not to bail out failing companies. The kinds of decisions it's going to have to make over the next, I don't know, couple weeks or months about whether or not to provide relief to the oil and gas industry are going to be very interesting to watch. Yes, it certainly will be, Steve Leeson. And by the way, we have an OPEC Plus meeting tomorrow as well. So a lot going on with oil and gas. You be well, Steve. We'll see you soon. All right, well, not included on that list you saw was restaurants. Let's bring in now the CEO of one of America's biggest and most well-known restaurant chains, Ray Blanchett of TGI Fridays, joining us now by telephone. Uh, Ray, thank you very much in this tough time for joining us. First off, give us a business update. I know most of your locations are open for business, obviously delivery or takeout only. How is that doing? Are are you down 90%? Are you down 50%? Yeah, Brian. Well, you know, pre-crisis, to-go delivery was really only about 13% of our business. Uh, We've sort of doubled it, but, um, you know, it's a big problem for us. We're not we're not built to be a to-go delivery business. We've got obviously operating costs that are significantly greater, bigger boxes. Um, I would say we've, we've reacted very quickly, uh, sort of reinventing our business model to today's new reality. But I mean, about 80% of revenue in the company went away overnight globally, right? I mean, we, we have a big international footprint, so this is a resounding and devastating impact. And what do you see foresee happening, Ray? I mean, even when, even when the economy reopens, everyone knows it's not going to be, hey, everything's fine, unless we have a vaccine that's widely distributed. It's going to be a slow trickle. How are you planning? Are you thinking, I need to take half the seats out of my restaurants that when people come back, you know, they're 10 feet away from the people beforehand. What do you see as the next steps? Yeah, when we think about the cadence of, this term, of the recovery, I think a lot predicates on when they develop a treatment for the coronavirus, right? I think a, a treatment where it's, it's no longer killing people or making them deathly ill uh, will give us one lift. And I don't, I don't expect this to be fully bright until uh, there is an immunization. But, you know, we have some leading indicators in Asia. Obviously, we have a a big footprint in APAC. And, you know, things that we're seeing in Korea as they're trying to reopen that economy where they're putting screens in between tables and, you know, essentially turning a dining room into look like an office space, right, Um, with kind of cubicles. I think there's going to be – it's going to be a lot of interesting changes that have to happen in the business as people get more comfortable uh, going yeah, out quickly, Ray. Are, are you going are, are you, are you to make it? Oh yeah, uh, look, we are resolved. I mean, the day that the day that I furloughed uh, employees in the office, I obviously uh, furloughed my own salary. Our, our executive team took a fifty percent haircut, and the VPs and directors that uh, remain 
uh, unfurloughed or taking a 40% cut and the manager's taking a 30% cut. I mean, everyone, we have a really unique culture in Fridays. We work very well together as a team with our franchisees. Um, and we've circled the wagons here. We are trying to understand what sort of support we can expect from the government. Um, so far, it's the response has yeah. been uh, grossly inadequate uh, for what our needs are. But, yeah, we will absolutely make it. Ray Blanchett, TGI Fridays, based out there in Carrollton, Texas, wishing you and your entire team nationwide and worldwide even, Ray, all the best. Look forward to getting a, a margarita in one of your stories at some point soon. Thank you very much, Ray. You be well. well we look forward to hosting you. Thanks, Brad. Thank you, Ray. All right, we got some breaking news right now on Disney, specifically Disney Plus. Hopefully, it's not a Baby Yoda update with Julia Borston. Julia. <laughs> No, this is an update on Disney Plus's subscriber numbers. Disney announcing that its streaming service, Disney Plus, now has surpassed 50 million subscribers around the world. Now, this has been in less than five months since the service's launch, and it comes after it just rolled out to eight countries in Western Europe over the past two weeks. Now, the company also knows that last week it launched in India in conjunction with an existing Disney service with Hotstar. That service already accounts for 8 million of those subscribers. So 8 million of the 50 coming from India. Now, this is really dramatic growth up from the 26.5 million subscribers that Disney reported that this service had at the end of 2019. And Disney saying that these numbers bode well um, for their, their growth as they roll out throughout Western Europe and into Japan and all of Latin America later this year. Um, you see Disney shares up 7.35, 7, 7.5% in after-hours trading. Of course, while everyone is staying home right now, there is increased focus on these streaming services, especially as live sports and other parts of Disney's business are under pressure. Guys, back over to you. Yeah, big move there in Disney. And Julia, listen, I'm not too proud to admit it, right? You got kids, I got kids, and my wife is trying to work from home. So am I. I have used the electronic babysitter as much as I can, and I got no problem admitting it. None. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I and many other people do subscribe to Disney Plus and have found it very valuable when everyone is at home on lockdown, especially on these rainy days. But I think what's interesting here is there's this question, will people be willing to pay for yet another service when they might already have Netflix and other things? These numbers really indicate that Disney content is truly differentiated and people are willing to pay. Yep, because young kids, all those movies out there. Julia Borston, you be well out there. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Big move there for Disney. Big numbers. We're back. Aswath to Motorin, the Dean Evaluation. Next up, Aswath. All right, welcome back. Although the market has moved higher the last couple of sessions, still well off our highs for the year. And the question is now, where do we stand from a valuation perspective with so many unknowns? Bring in Aswath to Motorin of New York University. Aswath, good to chat with you again. Any way to gauge the, the valuations now of where we are, given that nobody has any idea where the E in price to earnings is going to be in a month or two? I think the first thing we need to accept is this year is going to be a disaster in terms of earnings for most companies. I mean, it's a given that we're going to, we're going to see a significant drop in earnings. But I think the real question is not how much will earnings drop in 2020, but how much of that earnings drop will be recovered in the years after. Because if you remember the 2008 crisis, it wasn't just that earnings dropped in 2009. You lost about 20% of those that, that lost earnings was gone forever. 
And that becomes the big question here because we've never had an experiment like this when we've shut the entire economy down. We have no idea how quickly the engine will rev up when it's restarted. Because the best case scenario is, even if you have an earnings drop this year, that you recover it in the year or the, in the next two or three years. If that happens, then I think we're we're in good shape. If it if it means that we're going to leave a lot of earnings on the ground that we'll never get back, then I think we're in much mm-hmm. more trouble. You're right, though. The uncertainty is huge, but we can't stop trying. I mean, I think that's the essence of valuation. You can't stop when there's uncertainty. You've got to give it your best shot. And we've got, listen, we've got Easter and Passover coming up. Let's try to be a little more optimistic given the, the direness of the news. As well. What's the best case scenario for valuations and markets as you see it? Let's try to be a little optimistic. I, I am an optimist. In fact, I've been, I'm an optimist for the six weeks I've been writing my updates. I think that, you know, it, I think the, the reality, the best case scenario is that when the economy revs up, that we go very quickly back, maybe not to where we were last year but or before the crisis, but close to it, maybe over the next six months or a year. If that happens, then I think, uh, you know, you're going to see earnings rebound and you're going to see a loss in value simply because you can't lose a quarter of, of revenues. Forget about earnings, the entire quarter of revenues and not feel the pain. So I think the best case scenario is the economy comes back quickly from the break. The the, the, the worst case scenarios is that the damage that's been done, yeah. not just to the economy, but to psyches, consumer psyches, business psyches, takes a while to heal. But I remind myself yes, that does. even... And, and, and it, yeah. That's one. Unfortunately, we got to yeah. leave it there. We've had a lot of breaking news this hour. We'll get you back on soon because we want to hear... More optimism. Aswal, thank you very much. All right, short break. We'll talk about oil up 10.5%. Huge move up for oil. Head of an OPEC Plus meeting tomorrow and the G20 on Friday. We'll hit that. Get some final thoughts. Mike Coe will join us on an options action. A lot still to do with 10 minutes to go. We're back after this. All right, welcome back. Let's talk about oil. Got an OPEC Plus virtual meeting tomorrow. G20 Friday at 10.5% pop. On oil today, most that come in the last five minutes. What's the options play here, if any? For that, let's do a little options action with Mike Coe. Yeah, Brian. So we were taking a look at XLE, the energy ETF, where we saw calls outpacing puts by about three to one. Most of that activity was in the June 35 calls. Those were trading for about two and a half dollars, and buyers of those calls are betting that the ETF would be up about 12% or more by June expiration when these options expire. That would still represent a 45% decline, though, from its 52-week high. All right, quick options action there with Mike Coe. Mike, thank you very much. All right, coming up, Becky Quick speaking with none other than Bill Gates. He has been on the forward curve of this pandemic. He's been warning us about it for years. What is he telling CNBC? You're going to hear from Gates coming up right after this. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Becky Quick was able to catch up with Bill Gates. Of course, the multi-billionaire has been on the forefront of pandemic research, and she got some comments from Bill Gates, and we'll give you a little preview right now of what you can catch tomorrow morning. Listen to this. In terms of being an investor, obviously you're a well-known investor. Not that you're probably spending that much time thinking about that, but have you changed your investment strategy at all since this all took place? You know, there are whole industries that are going to have uh, reduced demand even after supply comes back. And 
you know, capital spending, you know, cars, houses, all those things, you know, it's hard to think that the, the general animal spirits will be uh, anywhere near what they were uh, before this got started. All right, of course, you can see the rest of that tomorrow morning on Squawk Box. Guy Adami, uh, I do want to bring you back in here. Do you think it's going to be, you know, a long, slow return, L-shape, V-shape, U-shape? I, I do think it's going to be a long, it's going to be a long, slow, but, you know, we'll get through it. And Bill Gates is one of the voices you need yep. to listen to, Brian. Guy, thank you very much. Thank you all for watching. We'll see you tomorrow night. Mad with Jim starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.